0: Hello and welcome to Out to Lunch, the podcast in which I take fascinating famous people for a bite or three at a top restaurant and then we shoot the breeze. Today I have the pleasure of sitting at opposite ends of a very long table, ah the joys of social distancing, with one of the presenters of TV's Top Gear and the Grand Tour. His catchphrase is, oh cock, so his new recipe book is called, oh cook, see what he did? That author and my interviewee is of course all round lovely bloke, possessor of a head of
1: hair to rival my own, give or A bit of grey, it's James May. We weren't snorting coke up the navels of supermodels or anything like that. We'd often have a cup of tea and and a bit of a rest in the afternoon before the next performance because we were tired. You know, We're, we're not really that exciting.
0: For this episode of Out to Lunch, I have come to Archer Street in Soho. James May, my guest, uh, made it clear that there wasn't anything he didn't eat. Well, apart from kale, but we'll get to that. So I thought, well, I'll bring him to somewhere that I really, really like. We are outside a restaurant called Bocca di Lupo. It's an Italian restaurant. Uh, the name means Mouth of the Wolf. And the chef, Jacob Kennedy, he's a terrific cook. All his food, influenced by the cooking of Rome, is terrific. So James May gets to eat Jacob Kennedy's food at Bocca di Lupo. What a lucky man. Let's get inside. Thank you, sir. James. James. This is Luca, who will be serving us here. So, before we we get into all of this, I have to admit, I was having looked at the book. Were you horrified? No, no. (laughs) You see, I was slightly surprised you even uh, agreed to be interviewed by me, because although we do actually agree on quite a lot of stuff, I thought you might have me in the category marked. What's the polite term? Foodie wanker. Uh,
1: no, I don't have you down. I mean, I listen to your show and I don't, I don't mark you down as a foodie wanker because you talk sense. I'm only... My aversion, which I touch on a little bit in my intro, is yeah. basically bored people who use foodieism as a type of cod sophistication, I suppose. Oh. OK, well, I'm going to do the descriptive thing,
0: which is we're in the private, what is essentially the private dining room, Bocca di Lupo. There's a part of the kitchen just through that door. So any clanking that is heard, this is not for your benefit, it's just so that people are going, God, that's noisy. That's because there's a kitchen on the other side where they're doing things. So do you have any particular things that you refuse
1: to try or like trying or...? I wouldn't refuse anything, really. I'm not a fussy eater, although, no, I'm now going to say I avoid red meat. You avoid red meat? but I treat it as a treat, so I probably have it maybe once a month. OK. Jacob Kennedy is the chef here, and I think he's actually cooking
0: today. He's well-known for his full-on sausage porchetta action. There's a tagliatelli with ragu, and you've got a, a ragu recipe
1: in there. Yes, I have. Mine's a, mine's a fairly student It's quite quick. Ragu. Yeah. It took me two attempts to get it right, though. Two attempts? Well, <laughs> that... Yeah, well, <laughs> that actually... I suppose no. No, I'm going to say it's, it was three attempts. I didn't get it quite right. It's I'd, I'd never actually made it before. That's one of the things I had to learn to do before I wrote the recipe down and said this is how I think you should do it. Making a cooking show and doing a cookbook, particularly filming the TV show, one of the problems is when I, if I'm talking about say cars or you know putting a lawnmower together, I at least believe I have some authority and people believe me, and I'm including in that the crew and the people filming me and recording the sound. When you make a cooking show and you're only really one step ahead of your audience, yeah. the crew, all of whom, of course, cook to some extent, some of them quite expertly, they've all got an opinion on what you're doing and are constantly interrupting you. So it's like working in front of a big advisory committee. <laughs> it must be a bit like playing for Rotherham United, I imagine. So one of the things I'm slightly embarrassed about in the, in the programme is that I... I, I, I get a bit shirty with the crew, which I would never normally do. I, I'm I What, well, because right they're looking show. at you in a way? They've got, just, got the face on. Or they're just interfering. Excellent! Or, or they're coming and wanting to do the inevitable cutaway shot of the steak I've just cooked perfectly for my helper, for my for my uh, domestic goddess, and, it, and it's, it's overcooking on the plate, you know, it's, it's spoiling, and they're trying to do the pretty cutaways. And I'm saying, you can't do that. You, th- this is the artistry of the moment, and I, I've always railed against bad-tempered chefs who swear a lot in the kitchen and go around shouting at them. But now I completely understand and it. And now you're one of them. I, I became one of them in a matter of two days. It would be a bit like if I were at home doing something I take too seriously, like making something out of a piece of wood or, or uh, operating my lathe or playing my piano or something. If people came up and started talking to me, I'd be bloody furious. And that is what happens when people are cooking. I understand it completely. The get-out-of-the-kitchen thing, Absolutely right. I'm going to talk to you about the book in detail, but let's work out a plan of action on the food. OK, how much am I supposed to eat for this? Well,
0: you're just having lunch, mate. I mean, you know, if, if you went, oh, I've already eaten, then I'd obviously be
1: furious, but... Uh... I don't know if I should admit to having just spent a week on a health farm in Germany. Not my idea, Sarah's idea, my other half. She's always wanted to do it. I take her away in September around her birthday. We mm. normally go on something like a cultural European city break and look at art galleries and do a lot of eating and wine drinking. She wanted to try a Maya clinic okay. and I did it for a week and it made me ill, to be honest. Well, I think so. You go in and you get the impression that it's full of middle-aged, probably fairly wealthy people who have absolutely nothing wrong with them but who feel more virtuous mm. because they've gone for a detox or whatever. It was quite, quite clear in the initial medical consultation where I arrived that the, the doctor thought, ah, here's actually something we can work on. <laughs> and they immediately put me on a starvation diet. I could just, all I could do was chew a herbal infusion. Sarah sat there having the food that they do. And it's fairly simple food in small portions. So I had to chew tea for two days and I had to do this liver detox. Thing. I'm not sure your listeners are gonna to want to hear this.
0: I feel the need to say this before you go into the liver detox. For anybody listening, there is no such thing as a liver detox. And if you talk to any medical professional, they'll tell you it's bollocks. Yes. That's what they do. Your liver detoxifies your blood. You don't need to do
1: anything else to detoxify the liver. And I exercise mine vigorously as a matter of principle. But they gave me this liver detox, which was, apart from the salts and things, you take a mixture of... of, fruit juices, effectively, and olive oil. And we're talking about a pint, so it's half a pint of olive oil that you drink. And this must have some effects on your stomach, I would guess, (laughs) since that's where it goes, rather than your liver. And then suddenly all the
0: sluices open up, and they go, oh, listen to you detoxing. Exactly. As your bodily fluids spray against the
1: porcelain. And after two days, so I haven't eaten anything. There's no bar. I mean, the grounds of this place are gorgeous, so you can go on a nice bike ride, but you can't really do any of that if it's chucking it down. And after two days, I had a belting headache. I could hardly see anymore, and I was faint and trembling with hunger. And I went back have to you them. you paid I went, money for this? Quite a lot, actually. And I went to them and I said, this is ridiculous. I'm on holiday and you've made me ill. You're going to have to give me some food. And they said, oh, very well. And I remember talking to them and saying, I don't even care if I die. I want a chicken curry. And the woman on the desk rang up the, you know, the doctor in charge of me. And uh, I can speak a little bit of German, but she's, she was speaking far too quickly for me to interpret it properly. But I got—I just heard in the, in the middle of this sentence, she said in English, "chicken curry," and it was said in inverted commas Such and with disdain. disdain. Yes, yeah. exactly. So, <laughs> so they put me on to Diet Two Point One, and then you got, you know, like a small piece of buttwheat toast for breakfast with a with a spoonful of goat's cheese. Right. Well, let's get you some proper food then. Yes, please. Ooh, squid, prawns, and lemon slices. Pesto. Oh, that's mm-hmm. really good. Actually, it's all good. Why don't I throw myself on your mercy? Oh, right. <laughs> you are the expert. I'm a man who has written a student cookbook, and even then I'm lucky to well, get... Well, I'm it glad right we're up. across <laughs> that. Brilliant. <Yes>.
0: Um, <laughs> so, Luca, yes. can we get some panelle? The, the Chick- chickpea one, fritters. One each, yeah. yeah, why not? The Thanks squid be. prawn, yeah. And a sea bream carpaccio. If you ask Jacob to do us it, a mixture of sausages. Of course. You want any side to go with that? Yeah. We'll, we'll have some
1: token salad or yeah. something. The lettuce,
0: otherwise the caponata is amazing. How about a caponata and a whole round? Yeah.
1: yeah. Perfect.
0: Now, there was a question I wanted to ask you, which was how long was it after you started working with Clarkson and Hammond on Top Gear that I realised I didn't like them? That you didn't, yeah. <laughs> That you thought, these are a couple of dickheads.
1: Well, they are a couple of dickheads, but I'm a dickhead as well.
0: You've said quite actively that um, one of the things you think makes it work is that fundamentally there are things about each other you dislike intensely.
1: Well, I think that's true. I do think we would probably not be mates if we were all at school. When the, when the whole
0: balloon went up, when,
1: you know, the whole thing, well, basically, Clarkson got sacked... Uh, officially, his contract wasn't renewed.
0: Yeah. Hmm. When Clarkson got sacked... Yeah. Um, <laughs> like it. <laughs> uh, ...for his behaviour towards a junior member of staff, how did you
1: genuinely feel about that? I was conflicted because it obviously wasn't right. That, that was a bad moment, but everybody's had one. They just tend not to be as public as his was. I was slightly annoyed that it could have been resolved in a much cleaner and more straightforward way. There could have been a simple boxing match between him and Oshin, the bloke he fell out with. Which has have been quite amusing anyway, because Oshin's built like a brick shit house and would have completely flattened him and anybody else who got in the way. Was he of that mm. temperament? But he's not. He's a He's a gentle soul. So I think it could have been sorted out more easily. And then this other conflict is... You're sort of almost, if you like, morally... Forget the commercial considerations and all that, but you're sort of morally obliged to do what the vast majority of the viewers want. And some of the viewers are very annoyed about it, but a lot of them wanted to see us stay together because that's what entertains them. And actually, for whatever reason, and it's a mystery to us, but it makes people happy. So you have to acknowledge that and you have to serve it because... It's done me a lot of favours, and I I, I couldn't really say no. What when they all. Well, we had to stay together. I mean, in the end, the idea that we didn't. You all wrote to each other. You basically wrote to each other on the south face of the Eiger. It was a little bit like that, yes. And if one
0: went down, you were all going. I I think the peculiar thing was I'm I'm, I'm going to be sort of blunt here was that when the story broke about Clarkson punching someone, for a vast proportion of the population, They weren't surprised. If you had punched someone,
1: (laughs) they would have been surprised. The only person I'm ever going to punch, if it happens, will be Clarkson. So, you know, (laughs) they'll have a nice circularity to it. It was wrong. Mm. But the other thing that we should acknowledge is, you know, there was a huge amount of pressure at the time. We were top gear. And, you know, I hate the idea of being smug or anything about it, but we were the world's biggest factual entertainment show, the biggest one in history, possibly. How many viewers around the world did it well, have? At that at point, point it was reckoned it was something like 350, 360 million people. That's quite a lot of people. It's a, it's a huge number. And there is a pressure to keep it up, and occasionally it will boil over, in one way or another. And if we were ACDC or Led Zeppelin or the Rolling Stones, and we were, you know, throwing up out of the back of Rolls Royces, or occasionally giving somebody a slap, or we were you know a professional football team misbehaving in a nightclub people would go oh that's terrible <laughs> those rock stars it wasn't really that different being top gear and on the whole i think we behaved quite well we used to no
0: <laughs> i we
1: used to we used to make a horrible racket you know we used to go out when we were doing our live tours we used to go out and i used to think god if you were in the restaurant that we were in you'd want your money back because we'd get so excitable, you know, because we'd been doing a live show so we'd be really fired up and then we'd go out for a, a, a big curry or we'd go for a, a big meal in South Africa and we'd be, you know, blowing off because we'd done this live show and it was working and, then, and we'd be drinking wine and we'd be screaming at each other in a bid to get our funny line in, you know, and we'd be howling with laughter and it was all terrific fun. If you were the couple two tables down who'd come out for your 20th wedding anniversary... It was appalling, and if any of those people are listening, I apologise, also on behalf of all my colleagues and all the people who work with us, because we were disgusting. Clarkson, I don't think he'd do the same sort of apology. I don't think he would disagree with anything I just said. You know, we weren't violent or aggressive or anything like that. We were just noisy. We were spoiled, noisy people letting off steam. We weren't snorting coke up the navels of supermodels or anything like that. We'd often have a cup of tea and and a bit of a rest in the afternoon before the next performance, because we were tired, you know. We're we're not really that exciting. But just in the evenings, we used to sew one on a bit, and and we just get very, very noisy. In TV land,
0: regularly people talk about uh, the brilliance of the Top Gear format. Mm. My view... Is that there was no Top Gear format, and that the reason it or that the reason it succeeded was not the format because the format was three blokes in an aircraft hangar. Yeah.
1: Yes. But the reason it succeeded was it was you three blokes. I was once with Gerald Scarfe and yeah. he he did a, the a great quick sketches his characters. Yeah. yeah. And he did and he he just did a quick one with a felt tip pen on a piece of paper and then showed it to me and I said yes I know exactly what you've done you've recognised just you've only been talking to me for a few minutes. And you've recognised that my mouth is a bit too narrow and that my my chin is a bit weak and that my hair is a bit shit. And you've immediately pinpointed those and completely exaggerated those bits. And it does look like me, but it looks like a cartoon of me. And to be honest, it's quite cruel, but it's also very good. And of course I kept it. And that's sort of what was done with our characters on Top Gear. Bits of what we were actually like it's all sort of true but it's in a hall of mirrors it's distorted and that's where the essential differences between us are have been pinpointed and and magnified and given the gerald scarf treatment effectively well we've got dishes coming so that's the fries with sicilian bread prawns and pesto trapanese that's the panelle ah chickpea fritters yeah that's the the this is
0: okay you might want to try this as well i'm putting it that.
1: that's I, I want to prove something to you can i take that with my fingers yeah is yeah, yeah i one? would that tastes like seaweed mm, doesn't it that tastes like it's, chinese seaweed
0: yeah it's not it's kale
1: oh. <laughs> if It taste completely different what have they done to it Did just well the,
0: it uh, so it, we have a plate of deep fried kale which mischievously Jacob actually went out and got, because somewhere in this book of yours, you dismiss kale as not actually a foodstuff.
1: I do, don't I? You (laughs) do. I think I may have just changed my mind, because that's actually fantastic. Most seaweed
0: in Chinese restaurants is this stuff, deep fried, dressed with salt and a little bit of sugar.
1: That's exactly what it tastes like. I always thought most seaweed in in, um, Chinese takeaways was actually cabbage of some sort, but it's kale, is it? likely to be kale or some kind of
0: greens. You know, I'm being unfair because I would generally agree that there's a lot of uses for kale. If someone said, if you like a kale salad, I'll start to weep slightly. <laughs> not with joy, but, presumably. Not with joy. When you were growing up, when you were a kid... If indeed I did, yes. Well, if indeed exactly. you did, what, what was family life like? I've seen two accounts of what your dad did. One would
1: describe him as an itinerant foundry manager. Yes, he was a... D- itinerant might be a bit too strong a word, but he was a he did manage foundries steel and then later aluminium and we did move around a bit in the steel making and aluminium founding areas so the midlands south Yorkshire Staffordshire and so on so i i my life was happy as a child very conventional I'm sort of rootless but I slightly feel like I belong in the west country do you think your
0: dad's involvement in the steel industry and foundries and all of that, was the thing that turned you on to engineering and how stuff works.
1: I did get my enthusiasm for, well, taking things to bits, rather than engineering in the true sense, it's mechanics. I probably got a bit of that from my dad.
0: Um, Was there a plan in your head? You pretty much suggested in the past, lack of ambition, lack of
1: plan. Yes, I wouldn't claim ever to have been ambitious. By accident I stumbled on a bit of magazine work and realized I liked it and I might I might be okay at it. What was I'm your first magazine? Answer. I was a sub-editor on the Engineer, which is a trade mag for industry, something my dad used to read in fact, so I was familiar with it. How old were you? That was 1989, so I'm 26. So I was 26, yes. And the chief sub was a guy called uh, Terry Galt, an Irish bloke, and he was sympathetic, cos I spent weeks panicking, thinking, I don't, know how to do, I don't know how to write a good headline and I don't know how to write a good caption. But eventually it clicked a bit, and then I went... I got the chief sub's job on a car magazine, on Autocar, eventually I was fired from that, obviously, and then I... And we should just briefly dwell on why you were fired. From autocar. Yeah. Yeah, that was my acrostic hidden message about how working there was a pain in the ass. <laughs> took me months to do and other people were in on it, but I got fired. So an acrostic is when the
0: first letter of each line or whatever reads yes. together and yours was so you think it's really good, yeah, you should try making the bloody thing up, it's a real pain in the ass. So, then you were a freelance writer.
1: Well, I was then working on production editing stuff for some new magazines that were coming out, and I... In a couple of bored moments, I had a go at writing. Now, I'd never really done writing when I was at school. And I wrote a few things, and I sent them off to... This is is the other man who saved my life, Gavin Green, who was the editor of Car Magazine, and... I went to see him for an interview. So I went away, I probably went cycling for a week or something like that. And when I came back... There was a letter from Gavin Green saying, you know, thanks very much for coming and seeing me. It simply isn't an opening for someone like you and we don't need any production help. So I thought, oh, yeah, another thinny." You know, I'd had hundreds of those in my life. But there was also a message on the answering machine, which was one with a taping, you know. Oh, you know, yeah, yeah, real, yeah. Gavin, Gavin Green, the Australian, very excited, going, oh, mate, 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 oh, uh, uh, I don't know, ignore my letter. Oh, give me a ring. So I gave him a ring, and he said, come and meet me in the pub. He lived quite close to me, so I went down the road and met him in the pub, and he said, would you like a column on Car Magazine? Which at the time was a high... God knows why he did this. It was on the strength of three columns I'd written. Keep going. You must try that Carpaccio? Yes, I haven't had Um, this yet. I'm not commenting on the food. It's all delicious so far. All the food is delicious, Mm -hmm. Mr May says.
0: Two things have occurred to me. One is that that kind of magazine work, journalism, is a very good background weirdly for television if you have the facility for television
1: television is a writing job first and foremost as indeed is radio so yes
0: um, and i don't think people have always understood that
1: no i don't like to give out advice and my advice to young people is always that 95% of advice is bollocks but but here's the 5% but here's the 5% that actually makes sense yes um If you want to do these things, you want to be a YouTuber and a a vlogger and all those things, it is still ultimately a writing job. Even if you're only writing in your head, it does start with words. Everything else is subservient to that. It's one of the few areas where I agree with Jeremy Clarkson. If he was listening to this, he'd go, yes, all right, actually, I thought... Well, the the truth is, that (laughs) that was what he was. Yes, of course, yes. And Richard Hammond started in radio, so... There you go. I think we've learned everything.
0: You go through a variety of... uh, Starts. Top Gear have been going since '77? '76 or '77 with yeah, Angela Rippon. Time. Yes. You had two starts
1: on Top Gear. Yes. So it was me, Tith, Quentin, Vicky, and Chris. Um... You can just leave it at that, it's fine. Chris. <laughs> 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 is...
0: And if he's listening, I'm so sorry, sorry.
1: Yeah, sorry, Chris. I was fired from that. I think, to be honest, because I was shit, I wasn't being myself. I I remember you being
0: introduced, uh, you know, to come back again as part of the team, because Hammond and Clarkson did it
1: together for a while. They did it with a third bloke called Jason, who didn't really like it, so he left after one season. Talking of things moving on. Um, are you done with all of
0: this, or shall I? Are they itching? There's probably pasta coming up from upstairs. Uh,
1: maybe I can yeah. just change your
0: plate. So I'll leave the food in for these. Uh, uh, do that. Yeah leave, yeah. leave what's left of the food, and then you we'll,
1: get... we'll eat it straight off the. Yeah, tray. yeah, yeah. Well, you got other plates coming. I wanted to try and find a polite way of saying, without sounding a bit Michael Winner-ish, that I've got no wine left. Oh, that's true. Bring him another one, will you? Oh, <laughs> you
0: want a red one, or you want
1: more a... uh, What, what do mean. we do? We're now going to do the uh, pasta. Ragu so you've got the ragu. Or... Well, let's have a glass of something red, quite hearty.
0: I'm
1: sure that would be great. It sounds, yeah. It sounds good, yeah. You. you see, he's done that thing where he's left some food on the table but taken the cutlery away. You
0: can use your hands with the I'm seafood.
1: Yeah. I just feel like I'm here to give you permission. Yeah, the reason I'm saying we haven't got the cutlery and I'm being nervous is because I still believe I'm not allowed to do any of this. I'm not allowed to be on TV. I'm not allowed to come to this nice restaurant. I'm not allowed to meet you. I, do. I mean, at home I'd be Thrill into this. What do you mean fire? you're not allowed? I mean, you
0: are. I'm not allowed. Hugely successful. Where's this imposter syndrome? What's it from?
1: Well, it, I, I don't know. Maybe it go, it's something to do with childhood, or maybe it's. Um... What
0: were your, you loved your parents clearly, and yes, they're still they're with us, still alive, it. still yeah, alive. Still that's, alive well, that's amazing. Did, did they me, spend this. most Sunday evenings saying you're a worthless shit? I mean, what, no. what was it?
1: <laughs> no, they didn't say that at all, if anything. They, they sort of overindulged my, my dreamy flounce about nature. At my core, I still think I'm getting away with this and it's not really allowed. Mm. Definitely, when I was younger, I would look at uh, people doing other things or read about people being fighter pilots or, or rock stars, whatever, and I think, well, that must be great, but I can't do that, because it wasn't allowed. I think I just knew my place. It's a Victorian thing, probably. Thank you. A, a, a big, thick glass of red wine has turned mm, up in front this of is, This is very, I'm going to swirl it around a bit. Oz Clark would be very pleased. With oh,
0: this. indeed, because you did do a wine show with him, which also involved you basically saying it's all Ponty rubbish.
1: Yeah, um, I, I didn't entirely mean it. I, I I did learn things from Oz, and I and I've retained them, and I'm eternally grateful to him. I'm going to see him next week, actually. For I will a give him my regards. Of, yes, I will. A um, session of Do you want to give wine. it a sniff and tell us a few things? Yes, then? I've swelled it. I'm now g- I'm I'm holding it over my white plate. It's not particularly old, but it's not completely young either. I can tell that from the colours right at the edge. What's the date on it, Luca? This is where I'm revealed as a total fraud, isn't it? Is this one? Basiliatai Yanni. Yeah, there you go, it's eight years old. Yeah. Thank you, thank you very much. No That's, um, problem. On the nose. Yeah. Dark fruit. Quite a lot of alcohol, I would say, and a slight overtone of a cupboard that hasn't been opened for a while. <laughs> Luca's just
0: left the room. <laughs> <laughs> to go and have a look at the cupboard. Tell us what the alcohol is. Is it 14 and a half?
1: Yes, ma'am. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, clearly, I was You did two series of a wine show with with us. Uh, um, no three in
1: the end. The three. We did, we did well. The third one was Drink to Britain, so it wasn't. Oh, Christ! What have just we done wine. to deserve you? I've got a list oh, here, yes.
0: a filmography which I'll goes don't from ninety nine to twenty twenty, and there are twenty one titles. Oh, man. And, Yeah, twenty one shows, and of those twenty one series, I think only five don't feature your name. Yeah, I've never liked that. So, I mean, they are things like James May at the Edge of Space, James May's Toy Stories, James May's Things You Need to Know. What is the most ludicrous TV pitch you've ever had, James May's Taxi Demi? What? Have there been some bizarre suggestions of things you should front while you investigate?
1: There was one about domestic hygiene that somebody wanted me to do. It wasn't Britain's Cleanest Bog with James May, but it was it was it was something. <laughs> it was something about cleaning things and then there was somebody wanted me to do something about Victorian pharmacy or something. I mean, just something totally unsuitable. And as on the whole, I've done ideas that have been... that either I've come up with or I've come up with, with my TV mates, you know, my regular director friend and so on. Of the ones that we did that, that we actually did do, and I thought, crikey, we got away with that... I suppose I mean the most serious thing I ever did was James May at the edge of space where I went up and saw the you know the curve of the earth and the edge of the atmosphere and so on but things that I got away with I mean the Oz and James wine program has to be up there and I always felt slightly sorry for Oz not sorry enough to do anything about it but Oz Oz being you know the, the voice of authority and the voice of reason had to talk about the wines of the regions we were going to and the, and the, the premise I mean it, well, it was Ol- Cl- Clark is the expert, and you are meant to be every man. So yes, that was the premise, and it, it's it's slightly forced and slightly corny by modern standards. These programmes are quite old now, but the reality of it was that Oz had to, you know, make sure he knew his, he he does know his stuff. Yeah, yeah, of course. But you know, he had to brush up on each region, make sure he got his facts right, make sure he went to the right. Was linear, he? Was he? He was the 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 brains trust on that. I yes. mean, and there was no one else. No, it was Oz. Oz said, we should go here, we should go there. All I had to to do was turn up, get a bit pissed and say something fatuous. And
0: then write a a voiceover script which represented that fatuity. And then there were a bunch of subjects, and it's sort of with food, where you're forced into another role. And is it you being forced into a role which is... Because the impression I'm getting, actually, is you don't really think it's all that and You think, you know... What, food? Great food, wine is,
1: is lovely. Oh, it's desperately important, yes. No, I'm, my objection is only to, to, to people wanting to use food as a sort of badge of office or sophistication or virtue mm. in some way. Oh, what's coming out? All right, there we go, that's the ragout. That's... Oh.
0: Yes, I know, something. was suddenly thinking, what the hell was that? The food turned up and my brain just, you know, went off. A little no, bit we were the talking rice.
1: about um, the, photography and how yeah, Most B.
0: modern cookbooks, and they're beautiful, and many of them are written by friends of mine, but they are invitations to fail because it's almost impossible to replicate the dishes that you see inside. When we were kids, yeah. cookbooks generally had lime drawings in them.
1: Yes. Something I'd like to do with, with that book, because I am only, um, I'm only an amateur cook, and as I said earlier, I'm only a couple of steps ahead of the, the readers stroke viewers. I, I want to give... That book to somebody who really can't cook at all. I, I work with a lot of people in their twenties in our digital business who actually don't cook because a lot of people that age simply can't be bothered. You know, they do they do delivery and they do instant meals. And I want to know if those if those recipes work because when I make things, uh, you know, and I've plucked a, a recipe, not as particularly complicated one, but I've pulled one off, you know, online BBC Good Food or one of those things. The instructions still presume a certain amount of knowledge and a certain amount of basic technique did you carefully. have a home ec on this i
0: mean it's yeah, a terrible yeah. phrase a person who actually yes. don't take this the wrong way structured the
1: recipes who actually did all the difficult bits yeah. yes yes i did and she she appears in the we made it. we're we totally open about it what's her name nikki morgan oh, we well. got her on it i mean i i quite blatantly go and get her out of the cupboard when i'm stuck you know that's that's part of the shtick But I wanted the recipes in that to be such that if you'd never really cooked anything before, you could follow those instructions and do it.
0: I love you, you have a double-ended pie recipe in there, which is vegetarian on one end and meaty on the other. I've always wanted to do that. I don't know why I'd never tried it before, because I'd never made a pie. it's two discs and you flop them over and then you fold them in. So essentially what you've really made
1: is- Two two, pasties. Two Cornish pasties. Yeah, it is sort of two pasties. You may as well just make two pies in smaller dishes, but there's something quite nice about the idea of a half-and-half pie, especially if you get the two halves mixed up, as I did, so you don't actually know what you're gonna get. You don't
0: pay lip service to non-meat cookery in this. You're quite serious about the vegetarian stuff. In fact, Mm. at one point, you've also said that you suspect we'll, at some point in the future, we'll all stop eating meat.
1: Oh, I completely believe the hardcore vegetarians who say that the future of humanity is with a plant-based diet. I can, I can totally see that. How's your tagliatella with the said, beef and pork? ribs. beef is, is absolutely delightful, yeah, yes.
0: Yeah, um, spam. Yes. There's a lot of spam. Uh, There's a fair bit of spam, and I don't... But y- I think it might be misunderstood by some people that this is you being prolier than thou, where, it's, to me, it actually looks like a reflection of an interest in Japan and Korea.
1: Yes, in the Spalman recipe you're thinking of particularly, where, mm.
0: yes... For, for reference, spam became very big in Korea and Japan after the Second World War yep. because the uh, occupying American forces brought it in.
1: Absolutely right. And at the same time, Japan was, and Thailand and Cambodia and Vietnam were eking out their harvest by making noodles out of rice and wheat supplies and so on in order to make them go further because you know, they, were, they were having a particularly tough time in the late 40s and the 50s. I don't actually eat Spam all the time, despite what everybody thinks. It's something I find amusing. But I I am quite interested in the idea of, not necessarily processed, but industrialised food. Because people forget that the advent of tin food in the 19th century actually completely changed the way the world worked. It changed the way armies could move. It changed the way construction work could could happen and, and exploration, the movement of cities and, and you know, the conquest of bits of America and bits of Australia simply wouldn't have been possible without the idea of canned food, which was the first way that, you know, beyond things like salting and so on, that we preserved things and made them essentially safe. It's a subject we've talked about on the kitchen cabinet at mm. the Radio 4 show I do. I know, yeah. We
0: talk about canning all the time and it's brilliant. We have a, a food historian, Annie Gray, who's superb mm. on that narrative. It's important stuff. It is important stuff. It's the funny thing it's
1: is, great.
0: Yeah. in this conversation we're having around food and the meal we're, we're having, you're clearly an enthusiast and it means a lot to you, whereas mm. the, the, the person you present in here is,
1: dare I say, a little bit more ornery. You're... Do you think I'm being curmudgeonly in the book, do you think?
0: Yeah. Well, uh, 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 I think you're being a bit closer to the character on the, on the wine tour. As if it's all right to be am I? emotional about engineering and a beautiful Cessna and a... Whereas you you feel uncomfortable coming across as a, too much of a sensual human being.
1: I don't mind being a sensual human being. I don't mind being accused of being a metrosexual and all those other things I've been told I am. But I am very nervous about the idea of being a fraud. Ah! And I, I would be a fraud if I was eulogising about food because... I mean, I, I hope I appreciate it and I enjoy eating it, but I, I don't really know what I'm on about. If it was, We're back on imposter syndrome, aren't we? Back on imposter syndrome, yes.
0: I've asked a number of my guests this, this question, which is, have you been in therapy? No. No. Never considered it as a way of dealing with this ludicrous imposter syndrome. <laughs> you're you know, massively successful. It doesn't bother me. Uh, oh, do you like it? Do you think it keeps you in the right place for what you have to do on a professional basis? I mean, if you didn't do it, might you turn into one of those, you know, TV presenters who hits underlings
1: when they haven't served them a hot dinner? I I think I'm a long way from that, but, I mean, I've started. I got bad tempered with the crew making the cooking show. Small steps. Do you think so? Baby steps. Oh.
0: Seleccione to sausages. We've got some full-on sausage action here.
1: Wow. This is what the, I think this is what the Americans, or the Californians, anyway, would call linguisha. Is it? It's this sort of very orange, very oily sausage, which I think is going to be a little bit spicy. That is the calabrese, chili and calabrese. calabrese. Yes. yes. Yeah. Is that right? It's uh, paprika and some chili inside. Yes. Long long. There
0: you go, thank you. Now, as you are here, because you've got a book coming up, James Mayer O'Cook, six easy recipes that any idiot can make. If there was one recipe in here that you were gonna say sort of summed up the the
1: approach of the book, which would it be? I think cauliflower cheese. Oh, really?
0: I try not to eat too much
1: cheese. (laughs) I try not to eat too much cheese these days because I'm sure it makes me fat and, and slow. But it's such a hotly debated topic. How do you make a cheese sauce? And there are actually lots of ways of doing it and most of them work reasonably well, but it's so satisfying when you get it right, the crunchiness of the cauliflower, the, the sort of, the, the, the feral earthy flavor of cauliflower and the rich coma-inducing cheesiness of the sauce with a few little brown bits on the top. When it does sound pretentious, but, but if you wake up in the morning with a thick head and somebody says you can have either cauliflower or pasta cheese, You want it. You want the feral earthiness of the country. You want it more than life itself, actually, in that moment. So, yeah.
0: So, any any other interesting things going on in your life? I've bought half a pub. You bought half a pub.
1: Yes, couldn't Uh, afford the whole pub, and another bloke owns the other half, and he didn't want to give it up, but. Where are little Hobbity retreat cottages down in South Wiltshire? There is... It's only a small village. There is no pub in it. There used to be, but it was converted into a house some 20 years ago. So we didn't have a pub. The next village, which is only uh, a mile's walk away, less if you go over the fields, uh-huh. that has a nice pub. It's an old building. Uh, it's early 18th century, but it's been sort of... It's been kept... It's listed. It's been kept as an old building, but it's got modern furniture. It's sort of what I like. It's a... It's a proper pub, but it's not twee and it has sort of elegant food that is occasionally a little bit. Your hands are stacked, moving in a way with. Yes, meaning food on on top of each other, uh, but all very nice. It's popular with the villages. It was saved once before by a group of blokes who put a huge amount of money into it. It's never made any money. When Covid came, they finally had enough and said, right, this is over. So. We'll put it on the market, and if nobody wants it, we will probably sell it to a developer, which is what would have happened five or six years ago, and it will probably end up being turned into a house or something like that. It's a decent pub with no hang-ups of tradition or any of that nonsense mm. attached to it. No Morris dancing, no horse brass, none of that. Are you saving it? Yes, but I don't like to admit that, because it sounds <laughs> virtuous. The real reason I'm doing have it, it is began. because... Yes, exactly. <laughs> I wouldn't want to go for my weekends in the country and not be within walking distance of a pub, because why would you go in that case? There are a lot of nice pubs around there, but they're all a drive away. Eventually, I, you know, I looked at the accounts, I met the bloke who owns the other half of it, who I liked, and I thought, you know... Maybe I should do this. There's no custom. It's been closed for months because of COVID. It's never made a profit. The building needs some work. Sounds like a brilliant
0: business venture on your part.
1: But on the plus side, nobody else wanted it. And now the job is to reopen it, if only in a limited COVID-acceptable
0: way. But Um, would I be wrong in assuming that what this means is you bought half of it, but now you are responsible (laughs) for half of maintaining its capital through flow? It's financial viability yes
1: okay well that's but <laughs> that's beautiful i mean i'm not i'm not going to become a pub landlord i don't i wouldn't know what i was doing we have a manager ready to install and he's very experienced and has run some award-winning pubs elsewhere and wants a new challenge etc it's a free house what's it called it's called the royal oak but i refer to it as the roy because i only own half of it so i own a bit called the roy the other bloke owns a oak. Hello. OK, so you've got the Roy. I've got the Roy. And where? It's in Swallowcliffe in South Wiltshire, just slightly north of the A30 between Salisbury and Shaftesbury. So Everybody welcome. But yeah, so if you're works. listening and
0: you don't want James May to basically fritter away his <laughs> hard-earned money, please go and buy a pint at the Roy. Mm. <laughs> at the Roy Swallowcliff. James May, thank you very much for letting me take you out to lunch. We still have sausages before us. We haven't even got to dessert. But, uh, you know, there's hours of this on the cutting room floor. we will
1: will spare the listeners. Shall we? How's the wine? Oh, yes. But thank you for having me. I mean, honestly, delightful. Even though you're far away, because we are at two ends of an an unacceptably long table. (laughs) We are are attentive to all the important things. Yes. Well, thank you for coming. No, thank you for having me. It's been a joy.
0: When I say that was a long lunch, in the nicest of ways, I'm really not joking. We had to call time on recording before we'd even finished our mains, or editing would have been a bloody nightmare. Um, James was an eager interviewee and is, of course, much fonder of the food world than he makes out. Well, of course he is. He's a reasonable human being. And if you want to try what we had, we went to Boca di Lupo in London Soho for our lunch. Also, if you liked what you just heard, well, there's plenty more where that came from. Do take your pick from previous series and episodes of Out to Lunch and, of course, spread the word. Give us a review. Five stars. It helps us to keep making these and turns the spotlight on the wonderful restaurants that are still soldiering on during these challenging times. Out to Lunch is a Something Else and Jay Rayner production. The music was written, arranged and performed by me, Jay Rayner, and Robert Rickenberg. The mix engineer was Josh Gibbs. The assistant producer was Rosie Marotra. The producer is Selina Reem, and the... The executive producer is Darby Dorris. Additional production is from Steve Ackerman. Next time, we'll be hanging out with comedian, author, screenwriter and co-host of The Guilty Feminist. It's Deborah Francis-White. And it was at that point in my life that I realised, Jay, that if you
1: were brunette, you needed a talent.
0: (laughs) It's not enough. It's not enough. Your hair colour is not going to see you through.